Yes, welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Gage Clark. episode we're going to be covering some stuff about attention and dissociation which I recently made a post about which you might have seen Um, basically I started to think of how attention plays a role in how we experience dissociation so most of you probably know that dissociation is kind of like a detachment from certain experiences which could be like a detachment from memories or a detachment from certain ways of perceiving the world you could detach from your empathy and so on so i so the way in which attention might play a role in this is um i suspect that our attention to stimuli um that that uh, let me see how I can say this. So, so in some sense, uh, if you think about attention, we, we focus what we observe on some amount of stimuli and everything else. I would argue that the things that we aren't attending to are kind of like dissociated from existence, from our world. And so I think in some sense dissociation is kind of a normal feature of how we attend to objects. It's almost, in a way, the opposite of attention. Um, so, so to get into this, um, and, and so if that doesn't make sense now, don't worry, it'll start to make sense soon, once I start to kind of attach this idea to um, the more common ways that we view dissociation. So just as to give a quick example, um, if, say, you dissociate from your, um, let's say, empathy, then this is kind of like, uh, so So in this argument I would say is uh, that you're not attending to empathy, you're kind of neglecting it or ignoring it. And that might seem like a strange way to put it, but I think that, well, I think the reason it seems strange at first is because a lot of the times when people are dissociated, they don't exactly have control over it. Um, And we think of attention as something we entirely control, but that's not necessarily the case either. So... Um, uh, to give a quick example, if you suddenly hear a loud noise, like some explosion or some some kind of loud distracting noise while you're in the middle of a conversation, you will suddenly lose the attention for the conversation and have it directed all towards the loud noise, and this happens quite automatically. And so when we talk about dissociation in the sense of like, Uh, how people have dissociation as a kind of trauma response. 
uh, trauma on some level is kind of like the the initial event of trauma is kind of like a very loud stimulus, right? So when that happens, we have we essentially I would argue is develop a conditioned response to divert our attention in some way. Um, and so in the same way that the loud uh, explosion might kind of like hijack your attention, uh, I would argue that traumatic events sort of do this too, but it's not exactly in the same way. So, um, uh, so maybe we'll get into that in a second, but let's first, let's look at what ordinary attention is like. So, so sometimes when we talk about attention, there's this idea of salience. And so salience is kind of like how strongly a stimuli can draw our, our attention. So, um, like in the case of the explosion, uh, it has a very high salience. And um, so salience seems to kind of be determined by more than just the loudness. Um, it seems to be maybe not even necessarily loudness itself, but this the contrast of this event being louder than all the other things happening around you. So as you can imagine, if you were in a very loud space and other loud events are happening, uh, they're kind of, they, they would essentially not, uh, like this, the salience of any individual stimuli is based on the relative loudness, I should say. But I also think that if something were suddenly, like if there were a sudden gap in loud experiences, I think that would draw our attention too, and I think it's more about kind of the surprisal element of that situation. So besides either loudness or surprisal, uh, it seems that there is something called incentive saliency, which is, it's basically like that we have the motivation to attend to stimuli. So when we think of why we attend things, we pay attention to things because they can essentially lead us to something valuable to us. So, um, so that's sort of what it means by incentive saliency, that there's an incentive for us to pay attention or kind of observe something. And so like in terms of when we're trying to learn how to manipulate our environment, uh, that could be, uh, partially driven by incentive saliency. Um, so Let's see, so, so another thing about this, this idea of incentive saliency is kind of important for this topic, especially when it comes to trauma-induced dissociation. Um, so, so if you think of this, this kind of gets into the idea of kind of reward and punishment. Um, what we attend to, it can either bring us something good or something bad. And if it brings us something good, that's rewarding. If it brings us something bad, it's kind of punishing. So, so normally, 
I think that under a lot of circumstances, attention is usually rewarded. Like we are rewarded for observing something because that helps us acquire more knowledge about the situation in the world. And this essentially gives us more control over the situation, which means that we can access more rewards or control the environment in a way that benefits us. But things get a little bit weirder in the case of punished attention. This isn't something that we usually think about in our lives, but in the case of trauma, I think it does become relevant. And this might be why it produces such sort of unnatural, you could say, responses like dissociation. So, so normally, if we look at normal circumstances, um, there are things, there are situations in which our attention is punished. Like if we pay attention to something uh, at the expense of something else that's more important, then in some sense we can be punished. Like if we're driving and we uh, pay attention to something on the side of the road, we might crash our car and this is highly punishing. So in that circumstance, in the future, after experiencing such an event, we might uh, kind of quickly not attend to things that are distracting us from the road because of our kind of fear or trauma uh, about crashing our car. So in some sense, there are norm normal circumstances that punish our attention. But it gets weirder if, say, say a person normally attends to their sense of empathy for another person, but then you watch that person become abused or physically harmed in such a way that it's highly aversive for you to actually notice that. Um, in a weird sense, paying attention to that is actually punishing as well, kind of like in the situation of getting distracted during a car crash. I mean, it's a kind of different dynamic, but it's still attention being punished. So I think that in those kind of cases, a person might kind of cope by learning how to not attend to their empathy. And yeah, that something like that could result pretty problematically, as you can imagine. Um, so that could be like, so in the case of detaching from one's empathy, I think that certain cases of psychopathy could be kind of like that. Um, I don't think that's all cases, but I think in certain cases, like someone who's highly abused during childhood, or maybe, I don't know, like, I don't know about being abused personally, that gets a little bit trickier. Um, I think that people tend to not, like, so in that case, I shouldn't have even brought it up, but in that case, I'll, I'll, I'll explain it anyway, but in that case, I think um, being abused yourself, I think the reason that that turns off empathy is because uh, I think we normally turn off our empathy for enemies because of the way that empathizing with uh, your kind of predator uh, would only lead to things like justifying their behavior and empathizing with uh, 
their choice to do that in such a way that they might you might actually enable that behavior and I think some people do that but um, yeah so I think like that's a possibly separate uh, situation but in the case of like uh, like say you're exposed to like I've heard stories where um, someone went with their dad into a forest and I mean, this is going to sound horrible, so just... Well, I'll, I'll kind of lighten up the story so it's less horrible to make it more bearable. But but I heard a story where this child was taken out into the forest with their father, who ended up kind of like uh, essentially killing animals in front of him. And it was a little bit darker than just that, but I'm not going to go into it because it's kind of dark. But, but this person also described kind of having uh, low empathy tendencies later and I think that that could be such a case of kind of dissociating from empathy in a way to um, cope and and it might I suspect that in the case of something like that it's probably very particular in the way that people like the conditions in which their empathy dissociates like um, one might still have empathy in the case of uh, if things are going well and the person that you're talking to or the person that one is talking to is expressing positive emotions but perhaps when they start to express negative emotions the the traumatized person might shut down and kind of detach is a way to like avoid feeling their suffering um, so there's probably many ways in which one can acquire a conditioned associative response. Um, I think even in terms of like kind of losing attention for the external world, I think that's another common thing that people might do. Like if they perceive that they're about to be greatly harmed, they might just kind of go inside themselves and kind of disappear from the external world as a way to avoid noticing the aversive experience. And so I think a lot of those kind of dissociations that we that happen kind of automatically for a lot of people, I think those are really like conditioned attentional responses and I think they're usually they usually probably originate from highly in a sense, loud, uh, emotionally loud events that affects our attention in such a way that it's almost automatic. And I think that's because the more that something is salient above the rest of the things, the more that it's not really a competition of what we pay attention to. So like in the case of the loud explosive noise, uh, it's like it's like so 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 actually just in a normal circumstance a lot of the things that we could be paying attention to they're almost like equally as loud as each other in a sense that we almost have the option of what to pay attention to and i think that that's really where incentive saliency tends to spike in, in a way um uh but when it comes to uh, something where there's like an explosive noise, 
the the loudness of that is so salient that you don't really have the option you're no longer choosing between all these like equally salient things anymore uh, you're no longer like trying to rationalize which stimuli to attend to instead it's just clearly obvious to your brain what you should be paying attention to because it just blew everything else out of the water and um so but in the case of highly emotionally arousing stimuli i think that ties much more into incentive saliency so uh it's it's more like the choice to attend to it becomes so important because of the way that it's arousing your emotions that it's it's basically a highly significant event like it's it's almost like the the arousal to our emotions is the indicator that that's extremely important to pay attention to and i think in the same way as loudness it's kind of uh blowing all other possible stimuli out of the waters so that we we the salience of it is so high contrast that it's like not even a choice to pay attention to it hmm so I'm trying to think where to go next we could get into dissociation with drugs a little bit now um, so I guess let's do that. Uh, dissociation from drugs. So obviously the dissociative drugs are the ones that first come to mind. Um, well, actually, even before we get into that, I want to make it clear that I think I, I sort of explained it, but I don't know if I explained it that clearly. Um, dissociation and attention, I think they're both kind of normally connected and like... Uh, like in the case of the loud noise it's almost like we dissociate from everything else besides that highly salient event and um so yeah i just kind of wanted to make that part clear like we're, we're always in some sense dissociated but the usual ways in which we dissociate from stimuli is uh we don't really consider that dissociation especially not in the sense of like how we might experience something more like depersonalization or derealization or fugue states which i think are also connected like like if you think of the fugue state um like right now at this moment you're not remembering everything that you could remember so like it's almost like you're always in some sort of partial fugue-like state but I think in the case of the actual like fugue state, it's different in the sense that you dissociate from a lot of the things that you're usually able to notice to the point that it's like uh, you're essentially like forgetting the very basics of who you are or where you are or things like that. But you can you can do that sort of thing. Like if you play a video game, you can f get so lost in it that you forget the time or the day, and you do sometimes like stop paying attention to the details of who you are. But this so this is like much more of like a controlled thing. In the case of something like a fugue state, it's much more like a 
habitual, not a habitual, it's more like a, uh, it's kind of probably ties closer into how like trauma can induce such things. And, and I think it's like, there's probably a lot of other things that can induce such a state, but um, that's like its own whole topic. So how do dissociatives play into this? I think that what dissociatives might do is, I think they might reduce the loudness of stimuli through their anesthetic properties so that um, you're kind of uh, universally suppressing how salient things could be. And I think this actually amplifies incentive saliency in a way, like it, it it makes it so nothing can be so loud as to overcome or overwhelm your ability to control your attention. And I think once that happens, uh, you can attend to something in total immersion. And this, this immersion property of dissociatives uh, has been reported before, uh, like with um, if you look on Psychonaut Wiki, it brings it up on the ketamine article. But but also I think that there's the, the weird experiences that people report with Salvia, where uh, people become objects. I think this is actually a form of immersion. Uh, it's just that it's so extreme that it's it almost seems like a separate thing. Um, so, so in the case of normal experiences that people have on something like ketamine, I think some of you might have, if you've ever tried it, you might have experienced something where you watch something on TV and you kind of forget that it's not real. You almost like become part of what's happening in the show or you can kind of uh, lose yourself in it. And another very popular way that I think immersion plays a role in the effects of dissociatives is the experience of the K-hole. I think that what's really happening is that you've muted, you've essentially turned down the loudness of the feelings of your skin and your perception and the external world to such a degree that now your ability to attend to internal stimuli like your imagination or things like that become uh, kind of amplified and it's it's I don't know if I would even say it's amplified but it's reduced the contrast of salience to such a degree that you can essentially just kind of intentionally attend to the internal world and end up losing yourself and immersing into it uh, at the expense of attending to the external world and normally I think that, I think that we could be capable of doing such a thing without dissociatives, but I think what's happened is that we're so highly conditioned from an early age to neglect our internal world and pay attention to the external world. Like if you think about what, where do most rewards come from in life, it's through manipulating the external world like we acquire food or reproduction or money or whatever it might be by manipulating the external world. We also avoid punishment by paying attention to the external world. 
like when we're children, I think that we might actually immerse into our internal worlds normally. Um, but uh, at some point, like you become punished for not paying attention in class. You become punished for not paying attention to tasks uh, at home or whatever it is. And this, I think, trains us to stop paying attention to the internal world. And I think that that, because of that, the this kind of incentive salience of um, imagination and the internal world are severely dropped. And I think even that, like when we look at things like aphantasia, I think a lot of cases of that are actually because someone has been so heavily trained to attend to our senses and uh, to the degree that um, I think when people close their eyes and try to imagine something, that all they're doing is actually attending to the the blackness behind their eyes. They're still looking at their vision. And um, so I don't know if that would be all cases. Like there's, there's obviously going to be other ways that you can lose the ability to attend to the internal world for whatever reason. But I do think that a lot of cases are because we've been so heavily conditioned to neglect the internal world and pay heavy attention to the external world. And I think that that's especially the case if someone with aphantasia can still dream and it's visual. I think that that suggests that they are capable of attending to an internal world, but they can only do so when they're so kind of in the intoxication state that sleep is, that we're so kind of dissociated from our normal uh, ways of attending to stimuli that we essentially kind of forget that we're supposed to attend to our senses and that's when the internal world kind of shines. So in a way there's just so going back to dissociatives I think they're kind of a silencer of our senses and that kind of allows us to no longer be distracted by those senses and this can allow us to actually attend to things with total immersion in a way that we normally can't because we're surrounded by such intense distractions. And so what's kind of interesting about that is there's actually some research about uh, people were put in a very quiet room and told to kind of attend to their senses or something like this. Um, and what ended up happening is that they had auditory hallucinations. And so in that case, it might be that the room was quiet enough that they start to essentially hear their uh, auditory thoughts. And um, I think normally, our imagination seems weaker than external reality, but it doesn't have to default be this way. Like, a, kind of going back to that point again, that I think we're just heavily conditioned to silence and ignore our internal experiences. But I don't think it necessarily is because, like, I don't think we're necessarily born in that way. Like, and I think that there's certain aspects of our internal world that remain highly loud to us. Like there's certain things where you can still think deeply enough that you forget to notice 
your visual experience. Like right now, um, you can probably sit there and think to yourself in a way that you become distracted from what I'm saying. Um, but I think that only certain kind of modes of internal stimuli are are left by the time we reach adulthood and things like visual imagination kind of aren't rewarded enough to remain except uh, in the case of sleep I think something probably happens to us that we kind of detach from all these different saliences to the point that perhaps we start to hallucinate again or immerse into a whole other world. I don't really know what I think about dreaming or why that happens though in relation to this topic. Huh, so, so it's interesting that there's actually some uh, well, hold on. Let's see. Let's let's get into actually a little bit about what psychedelics might do. So, so psychedelics there. I refer to um, the serotonergic psychedelics mostly, and I think what might happen is that these might decondition the way that we use our senses. So rather than working to silence our perception like dissociatives. I think that what happens is um, that normally we go about our world and there's a very conditioned way in the conditioned way that we attend to the world. So for example, um, while you're in the car, you will have a conditioned way of using your attention, right? Like you pay attention to specific locations and there's specific ways that you attend to different objects, like other cars. And, uh, but then when you're in a conversation with someone, you might start attending to their lips or specific other things. Like there's a, a whole list of ways that we attend to things in normal circumstances. And I think we don't usually think of it that way because we're just, we usually probably just generally don't think about the way that we're attending things. But in each different circumstance, there's a different set of attention modes in a way. And I think that psychedelics kind of work by disrupting those. And I think there's even a baseline way of using attention that we take for granted that psychedelics probably disrupt. So like, I think this includes the way that we look at an object and how we process and attend to its futures. So like, depending on how we attend to the visual stimuli, it kind of creates an outline of what we're looking at in the world, uh, the way that we connect things to become objects and all this sort of thing. And I think that even that is kind of being disrupted by psychedelics in such a way that now you're capable of attending objects and not even objects. It's like, it's almost like you're, getting pulled back from assuming things to be objects anymore. And this allows you to kind of connect your perception in ways that are unfamiliar to your usual sober, sober self. And um, we also usually have some sort of capacity 
for how much we can attend to at a mo in any moment. And I think that we kind of learn, like I think the, the way that we learn our conditioned way of attending to stimuli is partly based on like how we are rewarded by correctly, not even necessarily actually correctly, but in the way that like assuming observations about the external world is, is produces value for us so like if we assume kind of like the like if we assume things about any object or how it looks or how it's shaped or whatever about it this has function for us right we we are rewarded by learning how to manipulate that object in such a way that it produces uh, rewards for us like learning how to use a hammer um, and so uh, I think that we kind of like attend to different objects based on kind of these all these various properties that we identify with it like the shape of it like the the critical um, I suppose like like the points on the object that are most important like what it what those objects mean and like I don't know there's just a lot of things I think that we're attending to and then we start neglecting other things like um, I don't know it's kind of hard to talk about this so forgive me about that um, I don't know I'm hopefully some of that made sense it's kind of far out there but but essentially I think psychedelics might work to disrupt the ways that we attend objects so like objects and stimuli in general so like you might look at a scene and you might like connect uh, two objects together that normally are separate or you might separate a single object into multiple sub objects and like the way that you create borders and assume things to exist in the world is no longer confined to what you've learned and to what you've learned is useful to look at in the world. And I think this is where people kind of realize that, that in some sense, the way that we're looking at things is kind of an illusion, that we're like categorizing and separating things into all these different pieces. Um, and I think that there's also like ways in which looking at something like a hammer causes us to attend to specific memories so that like like when we look at the head of the hammer we're kind of also attending to what it conceptually means and the implications of like how we use that hammer to achieve things and I think that those memories are attended to simultaneously of, to looking at the hammer. So th this is actually a good way that th this might make more sense now. So, so if we with the hammer, if we're on psychedelics, it's possible that we look at the head of the hammer without normally attending to uh, its use and the way that we would like smash that on objects. Right? We can kind of disconnect our attention from. Uh, those kind of conceptual elements and just look at the hammer as a visual thing and we might end up like completely immersing into that perception of the hammer 
without attending to what it normally means to be a hammer. And this kind of unlocks a way of perceiving the hammer that's, it's like you just start seeing it for its distinct shapes and like every little curve of the object and all the different textures on it. And this, all of this becomes amplified because we're actually attending to it. Normally these are things that we don't attend to because they're kind of irrelevant and they don't pr produce rewards. So in this moment on the psychedelic though, you might start looking at the grain and the texture of the surface of the hammer and the way it curves and all these different things about it that you normally neglect. And this can kind of give the appearance that you're actually having a, an extremely heightened consciousness, right? Like people report that sort of thing all the time or that their senses become HD. And I think what is happening is that we're just attending to our senses that we normally neglect. And so like the most opposite of that experience might be like, um, so like, like as I'm talking right now, you might notice that you're not really attending to your visual experience. The more that you attend to what I'm saying, the less you might attend to your visual sense. And so, um, so the way that you're not attending to it, it's, it's almost like you're blind. Like your, your experience of your visual sense, it might still be there on some level, but it's like extremely weak compared to what you're doing with uh, your auditory attention. And so like, uh, so like on the psychedelic, you might start immersing so fully into the visual experience that it's beyond what you normally ever would. And normally you would never do that because it's not rewarding to do so. Like you might as well just kind of like pay attention to things inside of yourself or, uh, kind of whatever your usual habitual way of attending to things is. Like, I imagine each person is actually different. So like in some sense, psychedelics might give you insight into what other people experience on a normal basis. Um, so like something that I've personally experienced with psychedelics is that I attended to both the auditory and the visual scenery so fully that it was almost like in my head it was almost like i was watching a movie of my own perception and normally i'm distracted by my own thoughts and whatever is like spinning around in my head that i somewhat am always kind of dissociated away from my vision and my hearing like i'm not fully dissociated but even when i try very hard to focus on what I'm seeing, I still have things going on in my head. I still have intrusive ideas about uh, my social relationships or what I have to do later in the day. And those are things that are heavily conditioned, right? Like, like me thinking and ruminating about my future social interactions or what I have to do later in my day actually helps me perform in life. And so the psychedelic kind of gives you a break from that. And what I ended up doing is completely dropping away any attention to the internal world. And this was just shocking, like to notice only my perception kind of changed the way that I even think about life. So what I mean by that is I ended up
Like, so I started with just noticing a very high definition version of my senses. And then I kept dropping away from any, any conceptual framework that was associated with what I'm seeing. So if I look at a tree, I stopped assuming all these different things about the tree, like that it's like you might assume, well, this thing is not very flexible, right? It's a very hard object. And you also assume like the texture and what it feels like and all kinds of things about it. You assume where the tree ends and the ground starts or where the air starts and ends. There's all these things, like all these borders, all these definitions. And I sort of just kind of started to slip away from that in such a way that it was almost like the air and the tree and the ground became a single object. And I think this is kind of touching on what people mean when they say everything is connected and everything is one. I think it's essentially kind of dropping away from the kind of conditioned frameworks and the conditioned way of attending to objects and the memories about those objects. And so as I was doing this, it was almost like everything became blended. And the thing that was interesting is that this was happening because I was attending to my vision more. It wasn't like I was losing touch with my vision. I was losing touch with what I assume my vision means on a kind of conceptual level. And it was like my mind was emptying as this occurred. And all I was starting to experience was colors and uh, light and darkness and brightness and in such a way that like like I would kind of fluctuate from like forming meaning and backing away from it and it was like new objects would form in my vision and then they would disappear kind of like um, if you've seen those gestalt images it's kind of I feel like it's a similar thing as that you see like that image where it's both a cup or a chalice and uh, two people's faces, right? It's like that image where it's either two people facing each other or the, the space in between those faces is a cup, right? So it's kind of like that in a sense where your interpretation and the way that you attend to the stimuli is changing focus so that you can see it differently. And... Um, and I think the way that psychedelics help with dissociation is pretty much by disrupting our conditioned way of attending things. Like, people who are dissociated from their empathy might suddenly experience it and be completely shocked and overwhelmed by what they're experiencing. Like, there's this whole realm of existence that they stopped paying attention to because it hurt too much. And... So I think there's like a couple different things there, like with what psychedelics do, like there are the things that we don't pay attention to because they're not rewarding enough. And there's things that we don't pay attention to because we're punished for them, which that that's a whole spectrum. Like there's things we're punished for not paying attention to, not because they like, like think of the car crash scenario again. It's not like paying attention to something on the side of the road itself is the problem. It's that not attending to the what's in front of you and the other cars is punishing. So it's kind of like a 
I don't know, like a lot of what's happening with our conditioned attention and getting punished for it is more like that rather than uh, like actively paying attention to something hurts us. Um, but um, so there's like this whole spectrum of the way that we are either reward, not rewarded or punished for paying attention to different things. And so there's a lot about the world that we're completely unaware of as adults. And I think as children, this kind of ties into the whole Phoenix Effect idea again, where I think like children's attention has not yet been conditioned. So, um, and it's a lot more than that in the case of children, but, but in terms of what psychedelics do, it might be especially relevant to attention. Um, okay, so, so what I've noticed though on kind of lowish doses of psychedelics too is that I do notice that I can attend to the world in the normal ways, but I can also choose to deviate myself from that. And that's sort of what makes me think that like, well, well I don't know what I think about it. I think that sort of implies that there's this uh, I don't, I, yeah, I don't actually know what I think about that. So, but, but it does seem like there's like a dose dependency in how like the early doses, you're not necessarily ripped away from, like, like I can still choose to attend and see life as I would normally, but I can also slip away from it if I choose to. And, uh, well, this is, this kind of gets into what I noticed about ketamine and I just, recently did it the other day and that's kind of what inspired this. I kind of took all these ideas that I noticed and tried to apply them during the ketamine experience to see if it actually fits with what I'm kind of hypothesizing. And um, so what I kind of noticed uh, so when it was kind of first taking effect, um, I sort of noticed there was this euphoria in the back, and usually I don't really notice that much euphoria with it, but I kind of decided to attend to it. Like I, no I kept focusing more and more on that, and the experience grew, it heightened. Um, and then I noticed what I usually do is kind of try to attend to my perception. Like I, I, I go into it thinking I want to see something. So I'll focus on my vision and I'll blindfold myself and kind of just focus on the darkness, thinking that, that something happens with the way that my mind can't process darkness. Like that's my usual hypothesis for why hallucinations might occur, but th th that didn't usually work. Like usually I'll see kind of like phosphines and colors and lights and stuff when I do that. But instead what I did is I decided to just abandon any attention on the senses. And um, so hold on real quick. Okay, so, so instead of attending to my senses, I kind of just started 
in a sense, attending, I guess, to internal stimuli, but I also kept abandoning everything that came up. Like, it's almost like how people tell you to do body scans, right? For, like, that's a form of meditation where you pay attention to your skin and the senses that you feel on your body and kind of go from, like, your toes to the top of your head. And you kind of try to pay attention to all the feeling of that. And what I did in this experience was almost the entire opposite of that. Anytime I noticed a sense of my body coming, I abandon it quickly and start kind of intentionally focusing on something else. And it, and it was like I was leaping from stimuli to stimuli. Every time I picked up a new one, I kept changing it. And it was almost like I was starting, it's like each time I do this, I was getting further and further away from anything normal. And so this kind of like really spiraled out. And it, it was almost like I hurled myself into the K-hole. It's really interesting because this was actually a very small amount of it and I've done higher and I didn't K-hole and I've done this smaller dose many times and uh, it never really K-holed so this was very fascinating to me and at first after the experience I wondered wow maybe maybe somehow I accidentally dosed much higher I don't know and I don't think that's the case though I think it really does come down to the way that I was intentionally trying to utilize intention as a way to control the experience. And it's basically what meditation is. I think just the difference with why it works on ketamine is just that it, it silences stimuli in such a way that you're no longer kind of like addictively drawn into paying attention to stimuli that you're trying to not pay attention to. And so everything got extremely abstract and surreal at this point. Um, my sense of what I was was kind of like this weird golden orb with a tail kind of curling behind it. And I remember being almost on the ceiling of some weird ethereal space where there's like these black clouds with purple lighting and hints of red and uh i remember like essentially like as if i chose to forget what normal reality was like i i was aware that i could attend to remembering where my body is or remembering the room that i'm in or remembering what position my body lay on on my bed but i remember keep i kept continuously neglecting that any time that I noticed me thinking oh yeah my body was in X position I would just kind of reject it quickly before I paid attention to it and start like attending to something else like an idea or whatever else it might be and the further or the, I guess the longer that time passed the more lost I became in this weird experience and I, I was also listening to music at the same time and the music kind of 
controlled certain elements of what I was experiencing. Like I intentionally didn't pay attention to my usual predictions of what comes next in the song. And this allowed me to kind of listen to the music without knowing the song or what's coming next. And a lot of the sounds felt like physical shapes, like there were so there was this song in particular that had water sounds like bubbling and kind of like sounds that sound like a scratching on a board and I remember kind of seeing the shape of what was scratching the board and kind of feeling underwater at certain points too and uh, this detachment continued on to the point that I felt no longer attached to my usual ways of caring about life. And that became quite profound. Like it made me really think about the sorts of things that I feel like Buddhism kind of focuses on. Um, it, life and death didn't seem to be as significant anymore, which made me question like, like there were certain things that I wondered, what if I tried in life, but I'm too scared of because I might ruin my life. And I kept thinking like, my life doesn't matter that much. Like I'm protecting potentially a worse existence because I'm afraid of losing it. And this kind of changed the way I think about taking risks. And I think that becomes a really touchy subject. Like, I don't necessarily think that everyone should be following such an idea. Maybe, though, I need to really think about that because it essentially is like devaluing death. And I feel like the consequences of that can be pretty bad. But I became very interested in like what were the limits of how my mind could perceive reality like i was perceiving it so highly different than usual i wondered like what what else is possible and like some of this that was experienced it was highly sensory in a way like it was as sensory as a dream would be like a dream usually feels like a real kind of space right and a lot of this was like a dream like it had that level of salience to my experience. And at some point, like I had a blindfold on and the light was leaking through under and depending on which song was playing, it changed the feeling of whether it was day or night. So like, sometimes it felt like it was night and the street lights are leaking into my window and into under my blindfold. And uh, other times it was as if it was midday, which it actually was, and the blue light of the sky was kind of coming in. But my interpretation felt unbounded by what I kind of knew was the case like I could become aware of the fact that it was day but I could also leave it behind and not let it affect the way I perceive the reality 
Huh, so... Yeah, hmm... So this kind of... Maybe this could be a good place to stop. Um, it's kind of a ramble of a bunch of ideas that I've been thinking lately about attention and dissociation. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious, I would be curious if you have experiences like these and you recognize it to be your attention being affected. Uh, contact me and kind of tell me about that experience, I'd be pretty interested. Also, if you think it's not attention that's the core of this, or if you think maybe I'm missing something else that's going on, uh, I'd be curious to know what you think as well. So yeah, hope you have a good day, and um, see you later.